I'm Christina Bosnakis. And I'm Gabby Gaudet, and you're listening to the TDN's Let's Talk. Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk, and today we have a special guest and Karen McLaughlin, Christina. And Kieran, obviously, everybody knows him in the industry. He's worn many hats, uh, trainer, uh, assistant, famous, one of the most famous assistants under Dwayne Lucas, a jockey's agent, now currently an agent for Luis Saez. You won't believe the discussion here. This is one you don't want to miss. We hope you enjoy it. You know, Kieran, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, both Gabby and I, I think I could speak for Gabby when I say we have the highest, highest regard for you. Uh, we've had an opportunity to have many conversations. I know early in the mornings, uh, I've had the opportunity at Palm Meadows many, many times uh, yeah. to have like a lot of uh, really cool conversations with you. And, you know, I think we should probably just start off a little bit with right now, it's a busy time of year. It's pretty much always been a busy time of year for you with the classics. You know, you've got the Kentucky Derby just right around the corner. Um, And of course, you've done well in the classics as well during your training career. And now you have one of the leading jockeys in the country. He has his book. So tell us a little bit about this time of year. Obviously, it has to be pretty, uh, pretty jumping for you right now. Yes, being that I'm working for Luis Saez, his wife and three kids are in Florida. And so he came up for opening day at Keeneland and he's riding for the whole meet there. But he tries to sneak away back down on the dark days to be with his family. And it's very busy, though. Tomorrow morning, he goes to Churchill to to work charge it, our derby horse for Todd Fletcher. And Monday morning, he goes back to work secret oath for Wayne, for the Oaks. So he is very busy. It's a little bit easier for me. Uh, Everything's done on Zoom and on the phone now. So I just have to have my phone close by. Does your phone just go off constantly? (laughs) What is the lifestyle like for you right now, Karen? Yeah, I hope it does. And it does. It has started as early as 420, 445. Sometimes trainers will text me. But usually it's... um, a lot of trainers do their business ahead of time. It's not right at the, the last minute, but a lot of people wait to the last minute. And uh, I like to have the phone dinging and ringing. What, in your opinion, you've had experience as an agent before, and obviously you have one of the top riders in Louis size right now. It's a really, it can be a very difficult profession to be very good at it. Um, in your opinion, what are the qualities that make a very good agent? Well, I think you have to respond to people, answer them, and uh, be available. And uh, I'm always available. And I appreciate all the support from all the trainers and owners. I was an agent back in 1992, and we had to use a beeper back then. <laughs> we didn't have phones and texting and all back in those days but we had a beeper would go off and we'd have to go see the person and now with thoroughbred manager uh, a website that we use has all the information that you need you know like if a jockey gets suspended you can go see his business and try and ask trainers for for some of their mounts and when someone offers you a horse you want to see that they have a decent chance sometimes you ride 50 to one shot morning lines and win the makers mark mile, but that was a bad morning line. Karen, obviously you have, you mentioned uh, two of the horses that you're going to be, that Louis is going to be riding in both the Derby and in, um, 
in the Oaks. And these, the trainers of those horses are people that you obviously have a history with. Uh, you have a strong connection to Wayne Lucas. You were an assistant to Wayne Lucas. Um, he's training, he trains a secret oath, a Todd Pletcher charge it. Uh, you were both assistants uh, to Wayne Lucas. So tell me a little bit about that relationship with those guys and now being able to continue on with that relationship, but just in a different capacity. Yeah, it's great because, you know, my wife and Todd Fletcher's wife are very friendly to each other, very good friends. And we always would text Todd and Tracy when they won races anywhere. So now it's great when we can do it together. And it's fun. He's been, I appreciate his support. He's been very supportive, Todd. And with Wayne, it's neat because he needed to change jockeys, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions. So I reached out to him to get on Secret Oath, and it worked out well. And you mentioned that you had been a jockey's agent previously. Uh, so we know that was with Chris Antley. And again, you you alluded to the fact that obviously it was different back then with the beepers and that kind of thing. But also, what else do you think has changed in terms of, in, besides technology, has anything else changed with being an agent back then and being an agent now? Not really, no. I mean, luckily, Luis is fabulous about getting up in the morning and going to work horses Chris wasn't so great at getting up and working, but Luis is a pleasure to work with, and he gets up every day on his own. I don't have to babysit him. So that's the main difference with, with Chris Antlin. Well, I think, you know, you just made a really good point because uh, Angel Cordero once told me, he says, oh, why don't you become a jockey's agent? I was like, what? Are you crazy? How, what experience do I have being a jockey's agent? He goes, you need one thing. And I was like, what's the one thing? He goes, a good rider. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. have a good rider. He goes, it, it sells itself. Like basically you don't need anything else. You have a good rider, then it's going to really, you know, that it could really further. And I thought that was, it was funny, but at the same time, I think it's really apropos, isn't it? Yes, it is. And people reach out to me when you're in demand and winning and just being leading rider at Gulfstream, you know, people reach out. So I don't have to hustle as much. I more have to be careful on what we're riding and if they have a chance to win. You know, let me transition a little bit uh, here, Kieran, because we did mention uh, Wayne Lucas and obviously uh, you and I have had an opportunity many, many occasions. I always, I'm a big fan of Wayne Lucas. Uh, I always asked you questions about back in the day and you were an assistant for him uh, for several years. Tell me a little bit of just, you know, briefly about being that those years with Wayne, what you gleaned from it and really what it meant to you, not only professionally, but also just as a person, how you grew and developed from that experience. Yes. Wayne was a great teacher, great coach, great horseman. And uh, it was a real pleasure to be around Wayne at the barn for many hours a day, but also off the track. He was, you know, like a second father at that time. And um, we spent a lot of time together and I learned a lot of things from him and he is very classy gentleman and uh and we had a great time and we've worked with good people like Todd Pletcher, Mark Hennig, other people, George Weaver. A lot of people have come up under Wayne. But he's a great teacher and a great coach and a great person to be involved with. When Karen, just so I can like correctly remember the timeline, when did you, when did you first start being like an assistant trainer and was it for Wayne? Or did you work for someone beforehand? 
Um, I worked for Mark Cassie. Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. And I worked for, <laughs> for, for Dave Casson, Tim Muckler, my father-in-law, John Hennig. So all those jobs before. I went to Saratoga in 1983 for your father-in-law, Mark. My laddie and I both went there in 1983, first time to go to Saratoga. But the my break in 1985, I went to work for Wayne. Um, in January of 1985 and worked for him for seven years. And then I left him to take Chris Antley's book. And then I left Chris Antley to go back to training in Dubai for 25 years. And then I left training to be a jocks agent again. Why have you decided to kind of pivot? Because usually when you look at someone who makes a career has a career in this industry, they stick to one thing, whether it be, you know, especially at the level of success that you have been in, Kieran, um, what, why have you decided to kind of pivot? Was it just circumstantial that you said, okay, well, this is clearly coming to an end. Let's pivot and do this, but kind of that the decisions behind all of these um, changes. Yes, it wasn't. Um, coming to an end, I had great clients and great horses, but it was the opportunity to work for a top jockey and Luis Saez's top jockey. And it's less stressful. And the rules and regulations of having 100 employees is very expensive and difficult. I had mostly H2B visas and they were tough to, you know, to keep up with all the payments of everything and regulations. So I was very pleased to be able to go to work for, for Luis as an agent. And I felt a little bit bad for some of my help, but they all landed on their feet. And my brother Neil was with me for 25 years. He's in Qatar training now. And then a lot of the grooms and exercise riders went to work for other people and they're doing well. Was that a frustrating time for you though? I mean, obviously this was a very exciting opportunity and it's, really a blessing that you two came together because you guys complement each other so well. Uh, but was that frustrating that you kind of had to close that chapter on your training career? No, it wasn't really frustrating at all. I just, it was time. And with my health, you know, I, I could be used to be not the physical labor every day of training horses. So with my MS for 24 years, I've had, this is a lot easier on my body and uh, I love to go out every day. I'll go out every day at Saratoga and at Belmont almost every day. But Florida is a little tricky because there are four different locations. I would go to Palmetto some and Palm Beach Downs, but I didn't go to Gulfstream because it's too far away where I live in Wellington. And Payson, I didn't go either. Kieran, you... You know, you just touched on something that I, again, because I've had the opportunity to really get to know you and I've seen, I've, I saw you quite a lot uh, in the mornings. You're always out there. You're always smiling. You're always chipper. You're always like, you have such a great attitude. And, and sometimes like, I'll be honest, like sometimes, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I can be ashamed of myself. Like I feel ashamed of myself because I'm like, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't feel quite so well or something's off and, you know, you just kind of, and I know people that, you know, just gripe about stuff just because even if there's nothing really to gripe about, but you always kept such a, you always have such a great attitude. And you mentioned the MS. 
that had to be challenging. And again, it's not an easy job to have. And now you have, there's a health issue, right? But you're so, you have such a great attitude. Like where, <laughs> like, I honestly really, I really admire you like a lot because of you have such a great attitude. Like, where does that come from? I just, I mean, my wife, Bloody, and I have been married 38 years. I have two great kids. Aaron is working at the Breeders' Cup. And Ryan is in the finance world and he's moving to Saratoga for his job, which is great. We'll be around each other. But I I'm, feel lucky. My parents were great to me and being around like Wayne is so positive. But I've always been positive and I like to say I have MS, but it doesn't have me. So I love what I'm doing and that's why I didn't retire altogether. I love going to the track every day and seeing all my friends and having fun. You mentioned your family, and I know family is important to everybody, but it's especially important to you. You guys are very, very close. I see Aaron out at the track all the time, and it seems like um, you guys, she's even learning so much from you and you guys. How how has your daughter Aaron kind of... Um, uh, does she play a role in, in your business as well? Do you guys, because is she kind of learning from you in this new, new role in your career? She runs a Twitter account because I don't know how <laughs> to do all that, but she does it every day. And I speak to her every day and I'm very proud of her working at the Breeders' Cup and she does a great job for them. And she'll reach out to me for phone numbers sometimes. And she loves our industry, but she never kind of came up like Bloody and I in the stalls and grooming and exercising or walking horses. We kind of kept her away on purpose, but she it's great that she's in our business and our son loves it, but he loves it Saturday afternoon and picking six or betting sometimes, but he loves it. He's in the finance world now. So it's great where he is and he's getting married in July. Oh, oh wow. congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, Thank that's you. Kieran, you had a really great story that you had told uh, once uh, about the kids. Uh, and I think you you were in Dubai or it might have been right after the time that you had been in Dubai and you were getting on an airplane and the, the kids and it was about. Yeah, if you you know what story I'm talking about. Yeah. Can you just yeah. tell us that story? Because it's a, I think it's really it's it's really it kind of it goes with what you just said about trying to keep them away from certain aspects. Yeah. So my son was six months old when he flew to Dubai, the first time getting on an airplane was going to Dubai and he was six months old and Aaron was two and a half to three years old. And we were fortunate enough to fly business class always on Emirates from you know Dubai people and Sheikh Mohammed. And so we would fly back and forth, spend our summers here. And then we were going to Disney World and I was paying the, the fair, not Sheikh Mohammed. So we, we were going to the back of the, the plane and, and Ryan, my son, being about four years old, he stopped. He said, Daddy, these are small seats back here. We're in the big seats. And I said, when Sheikh Mohammed pays, we're in the big seats. When your dad pays, we're in the small seats. Get on back there. So <laughs> that was true. It was fun. Make yourself comfortable in the small seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
exactly. <laughs> and you better get used to it. <laughs> right. I actually have heard even, you know, um, I was listening to a podcast recently about celebrities who kind of do the same, like they're in a very fortunate position where they can afford, um, you know, the fancy seats, but at some point you have to teach your kids that this is a luxury and it's not commonplace, you know, like we're, yeah. we got to get into the, into the normal seats. But Karen, during that time of your life, like I, I've always wondered when you got the phone call that said, okay, you're going to Dubai. Um, what was, what kind of impact? Cause you did it for years. And like you said, you would come back to the States you'd spend the summers in the States and then you'd go to Dubai and it was kind of this back and forth thing for several years. What kind of an impact did that have not only on your lifestyle, but your family? I mean, obviously it did wonders for your career, but juggling all of that and, and living on two different continents. It was um, great. We were looked after well in Dubai, but that's kind of why, I quit going to Dubai in 2003 because a family and my daughter was in middle school. And it just, we just realized that it was too complicated and difficult to travel back and forth. So we decided, I decided that uh, being a parent was my number one job and the horses were second. So Letty and I decided to come back to America and stay. And the other thing was working in Dubai for children teaching them how to mow grass or deliver newspapers. There wasn't an option there. So it was a little bit like a Disney World lifestyle, which was great. But we also benefited from coming back and forth in the summer in this to New York by stopping in a different country every year to educate the kids, Switzerland, Paris, um, Amsterdam. We went to a lot of countries and stopped for a few days on the way back and forth. So it was great education for the kids. Could you ever imagine your life would take that trajectory? Just no. <laughs> and then when I think about Letty, she has two small children and we didn't have an iPad. We had to use silly putty and little things to keep them occupied on the plane for 13 hours. So it wasn't easy back in those days. You know, Kieran, you mentioned you mentioned Letty now, obviously, several times and for good reason. We and Gabby and I, one thing that we've kind of we've understood is that with trainers and jockeys, the wives of trainers and jockeys, and that includes you, too. Now, Gabby are really special, special people because it, it really is. It could be a challenging lifestyle. The hours are not regular uh the days are not like the days are not regular and just tell me a little bit about with letty i know you also i, I always i love the story too that letty she worked for wayne at that time back in the day too she was in the office so you guys you probably got wayne on all sides you know like you saw you saw him from all dimensions but tell me about just the type of not only the type of woman that letty is because I think we can glean that, but also just the type of person, like, you know, how difficult it is for the spouses of jockeys and trainers. Yes, I'm very fortunate that Lottie came from a racing family or, you know, John, my father-in-law, John Hennig trained and broke horses for a lot of years. And her brother, Mark Hennig is a trainer now. And her sister, Lisa Walker, works for Judmont. 
So luckily, Letty was working at the track and she understood the hours and it worked out well. But the support of her and all the wives are very important for trainers and jockeys. Jockeys' wives is a little more difficult, I think, because of injuries or something happening. So they're watching scared every day almost. But um, it's important to have the support. I want to pivot a little bit because I just want to make sure I get this story in. I was talking to Christina yesterday and I just remembered this story. You mentioned your first summer at Saratoga. Well, my first summer at Saratoga, I was working for the Saratoga special and you know where I'm going with this. And my task was to write a story on Invasor being inducted into the Hall of Fame that year. And I was like so proud of myself. I got on the golf cart with you. We rode around all day. We were hanging out with Trish, Neil, everybody. And um, I felt really proud about the story. And it was like a one o'clock, one, 1 a.m. deadline. Got it in at like 12.59. And it goes to print in the next day your last name is spelled wrong <laughs> in the article, but like 50, 50, you could clearly see it was, um, because I was lacking sleep. It was like, I added a G some, somewhere along yeah. the line. I added a G. Yeah. Um, but I'll just never forget how fun that was. And just like the experience of, of riding around in the golf cart and, and seeing all of these seeing you, seeing Todd Pletcher, you know, seeing Chad Brown, just like the, I grew up in Maryland going to Laurel Park and, you know, there were phenomenal horsemen there, but always thought, wow, what would it feel like to interact with people that are at the very top of the industry? Was it any, did you feel that at all? Like when you finally got to the top of your game, did you kind of have to pinch yourself a little bit and be like, wow, I'm, I'm actually here. Like, and think back on how you got there. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, I started out walking horses for $80 a week in Kentucky first got licensed in 1979, but at Saratoga, there's no place like Saratoga in the world to me. And I would be on the golf cart sometimes talking to a billionaire and billionaires standing next to you in the morning and you try and treat everybody equal, whether it's a hot walker, groom or an owner, but it's a special place at Saratoga thinking about all the success we had there winning the Travers. We had to share it with Kenny McPeak, but we did win it with Alpha. And it's just a neat place. And I remember you being on the golf cart, you did a great job and got to talk to Trish too about the Invasor. But, um, and her, a, her license plate said Invasor, right? Yeah, exactly right. And then I have shoes from Rick Nichols behind me here on the, on the plaque that are pretty neat on Jazzle and Invasor shoes that he wore. And Rick Nichols mounted them for me and sent them back to me. So um, it's really neat to have the, the stories and the memories. We're going to take a short break here to hear a word from our sponsor, First Racing. Introducing Preakness Live Weekend. Two days of music, entertainment, culinary experiences, and thoroughbred horse racing at the Preakness Stakes. Kick off your weekend Friday, May 20th with celebrity chefs and a star-studded musical lineup. The excitement rounds the final turn on Saturday, May 21st with the return of Maryland's biggest party, Infield Fest. Featuring live performances by Marshmallow, The Chainsmokers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at infieldfest.com. Experience Preakness May 20th through the 21st like never before. 
And now we get back to our conversation with Kieran McLaughlin. Kieran, you mentioned the the stories and the memories and actually just, you know, taking it a little bit closer, looking closer at, you know, some of the owners. We have to talk about Sheikh Hamdan for a moment. Obviously, you were with uh, Sheikh Hamdan for for many years. Uh, that was a great relationship. Not only was it, you know, a prolific relationship in terms of the the quality of horses that came out of there, and also the success. But tell me a little bit more about the personal relationship with Sheikh Hamdan. What would be what are your memories? Um, obviously, he has since passed. Uh, but what was your feeling on that? And what are your, what are your, like your, your fondest memories of him? Well, he always just treated me like I was special and he treated a lot of people that way. He just was a real gentleman and a real classy man. And again, almost like a second father to me in Dubai. And he looked after me and just a great horseman. And he loved the horses. He came out twice a day in Dubai to see the horses and he just was a really, really gentleman and generous man with his time and resources. But it's neat because his daughter is maybe taking over Shadwell and Malik that runs tomorrow and hopefully she wins um, for Todd and Shadwell. But um, he just was a special man and really neat guy. And always, um, I was around him a lot. And there's one of my favorite stories about him was he he always was looking to help people and do things and we were in a in the majlis they called his office and rick nichols was there and lexington airport kept trying to expand the runways and they're always trying to add on and it was going to affect shadwell a lot because their farm is right there and rick would every year when he would come to talk to shake hamdan he would bring up that we need to send money to this politician to help this, to try and keep him from expanding the airport. And Sheikh Hamdan looked at him and says, Rick, can we just buy the airport? (laughs) And that's true. I listened to it. And he just thought, you know, I'm tired of all this, just buy the airport. But he couldn't hardly do that. But he just was a very, very nice man. And I miss him now. I used to see him every day and I talked to him when I was here even after, you know, I left Dubai. What have you learned from these? I mean, Sheikh Hamdan is definitely, I would say, at the top of the list, Dwayne Lucas at the top of the list. But Kieran, you've been really deserved, you've deserved every single relationship that you've had, but um, you've been very fortunate to have these people kind of in your life. What have you learned from these individuals along the way? Like when you kind of sit, sit down and, and think back in hindsight, um, what would you say are some of the more important lessons that you've learned, especially in this industry and those that you've had to associate with? Well, I've been very lucky, like you said, and a lot of owners were great to be around owners. Um, Wayne taught me about everything that I learned about horse training and horsemanship was from him. He was fabulous to be around every day, feed program, great. And then going out on my own, I tweaked it a little bit. We would look at horses a little closer on the road, which Wayne didn't do that much, but he was a real pleasure and a great person to be around Wayne and Sheikh Hamdan also. So those are two very important people in my life. 
Well, you've also been very fortunate to have some phenomenal racehorses. I mean, we can go down the list. I mean, even we just mentioned Invasor. But was there ever a horse that kind of surprised you? I know that's maybe a little bit of a specific question, but sometimes horses can surprise you when they when they come into your barn, whether it be a pleasant surprise or an unfortunate yeah. surprise. But can you recall any particular horse that um, might have done that for you? What questing would probably be on top of the list? She was a smaller filly, just average to look at and she trained just ordinary and yet she won the alabama and hirad ortiz's first grade one winner was her and uh she just was special philly on the racetrack and and surprised me and probably a few other people how well she did but frosted's met mile was a bit of a surprise slash wow race after coming back from dubai that was his first race back, and it was you know, probably the most impressive race that I trained a horse to run. Uh, Invasor was my favorite horse because going back to Dubai and winning the World Cup for Sheikh Hamdan in his hometown and him sitting on the couch because he didn't come to America very often. So, But Frosted was a wild race for sure. Kieran, you you mentioned uh, Sheikh Mohammed, and obviously going. It makes me think of the Dubai World Cup, and you were there. You went to, from the very beginning. You went to the first one, and you you also you had a great story. <laughs> you had a great. You have a great story about. Um, and again, you know which story I'm talking about when you, with, when you guys went out, when the trainers, Sheikh Mohammed took all of the trainers that, who went out for the inaugural uh, Dubai World Cup, and he took you guys out in the desert uh, uh, for an excursion. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's funny <laughs> you bring that up. I just was talking to Bill Mott about it a couple of days ago, and we were, it was the World Cup week, and he called and says, he always would start with, where are you? And I said, I'm at the barn, sir. It was like a quarter of a mile away, a half mile away from Alquaz, where Godolphin trained. And he said, come up to Alquaz. Okay. So I drove up there and there must have been 40 Range Rovers there and it looked like 100 people. And he said, follow me. And we went out in the desert to ride camels. And I'm not very good. I can hardly ride in the back of a pickup truck. I'm not good at riding horses, camels, anything. So I was, I was jumped on the camel and uh, Bill Mott was a natural. He, he, they probably gave him the Rolls Royces of, of camels, but he could ride because he was, you know, he exercised horses. So he was in the, in the group and a few of them fell off the camels. It was a little scary. Like I want to say John Gosden, John Ferguson, he didn't go, but a couple other people fell, but no one got hurt and luckily, but we went out for like an hour and a half and then back an hour and a half. And, uh, it, it was, uh, challenging for all of us, but, uh, it was fun time. I, I just can't, this is the first time I'm hearing this story and I can't <laughs> actually like conceptually even visualize this with Karen and Bill Mott and John Gosden on camels. Like, yes. what? 
and Gabby, yeah. I actually I actually went to Bill Mott because Kieran said, go ask Bill Mott about it. Like, it's true. So I actually had seen I saw Bill Mott and I asked him about the story. But it was so funny because he got so technical about the story. And he's like, no, I don't know. It was really hard. And he was but he was it was funny because he was like so serious about it that I could tell that he was probably really trying hard to ride really, really well. <laughs> to your point, Kieran, because yeah. <laughs> he was so serious about it. But it was funny. I, I thought it was that was a great story but i just think it's it goes to the point of and also sheikh muhammad's such a sportsman right like obviously it's just whether it's yeah. riding horses camels cross country doesn't matter right no and he loved endurance racing another funny story about sheikh hamdan and sheikh muhammad I, I was training arabians i had never been around arabians in dubai but we did well with them and sheikh muhammad came by one day and he said, I like the horse that you just won with yesterday at Jebel Ali. I might want him for an endurance horse. And I said, no problem, take him, sir. So he said, no, I won't take him now, but maybe in the future. So he came back like two weeks later, three weeks later, and the horse finished second. And he said, I want that horse for an endurance horse. I said, okay, take him. Just tell your brother that you're taking him. And he's okay, I'll tell him. It's because Sheikh Hamdan came to the barn every day. So he came to the barn the next day, Sheikh Hamdan, and asked to see N.F. Bolt was his name. And I said, oh, sorry, sir, he's gone. Your brother took him, and he's riding him in an endurance race. And he smiled. He says, okay, no problem. And he won a 40-kilometer race with him, Sheikh Mohammed, riding N.F. Bolt that I trained. He took him over. So it was neat. Like A lot of people wonder how the brothers get on. And they're competitive, but they're very, very close. They were. Mm -hmm. Gabby, we never knew. So we always knew the trainers that had trained quarter horses and thoroughbreds. Yeah. Okay. And that, that was this my is question. a quiz. This this is like a quiz, a trivia question. Which trainer, which leading trainer had also trained Arabians, right? I never even knew this, Kieran. I had no idea yeah. that, they you, have, that you did. I know in the States they have. They have Arabian races at Delaware, right? Correct. I think. Yes. But yeah. what is what is the difference between training these two? Like, how did you adapt to that? Yeah, they're really smart. I think they're a smarter breed. They're a little bit slower. Obviously, they don't run as fast. But a horse is a horse is a horse is what I said. I said, I'll train Arabians, no problem. We ended up winning the world's richest race in Dubai with an Arabian way back when it was a half a million dollar race. Now it's a million dollar race, but they're, they're, they're pretty easy to train and do things right. They're also easily discouraged. You don't want to work them in company too often because whoever's in front will open up and win by 10. And the other one says, I'm done. We found that out, but it was great to work with them. They're very sound and, and uh, smart. That's incredible. I truly think, Kieran, you've done it all. What yeah. question? <laughs> question. What haven't you done? Yeah, <laughs> is there right. anything in the industry, though? And that's on a legitimate question. Like, is there anything in the industry that you think you would like to try? I mean, you've trained Arabians, you've trained multiple grade one winners, you've had uh, phenomenal success being a jockey's agent. Uh, you're great better handicapper as well you what you had a percentage of like a eight hundred thousand dollar pick six or something like that yeah I, a small percentage but i didn't really do the handicapping for it well okay 
still, yeah. it seems like you've just really done everything. What's and poker? Like? Don't forget, right? Oh, poker, yeah. right, Kieran? Yeah, <laughs> I, I like poker to play poker. Also, yes, we we are going to start our game back at the track pretty soon. We have a group of ten to fifteen guys that like to play. Mm-hmm. Aren't you? I was going to say, aren't you? Isn't Todd Pletcher also a poker? Isn't he a poker yeah. guy too? Like he likes to yes. play poker. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he he's good. He just doesn't have much time for it. Yeah. <laughs> but he has a good poker face, though. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What you know, Karen, obviously, you know, we're talking about Todd, but you know, and and we've discussed I've discussed this with Wayne a few times too, like some and some of the memories with those guys, just not only when when you were all with Wayne, but just that camaraderie that you developed. Uh, with, you know, with Todd and Mark and Dallas and uh, just like the, you know, the list goes on. And just what do you remember most about being with those guys at that time and really what it meant for you later on? Yeah, it was great. You know, we all looked after each other well, tried to. And then we worked for Jeff Lucas, too, who's no longer with us. He was a great influence on all of us. Um, He was fabulous horse trainer. The work ethic is probably the most important thing. Wayne didn't ask you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do, like come and pick me up at 2.15 in the morning before we fly to Churchill for the Derby. I had to do that once or twice. But Wayne was a workaholic, and we all worked together and tried to help each other. And uh, I, ha- I, mean, I have some stories that are funny, but um, one I told – my brother-in-law, Mark Henry, don't ever lie to Wayne or Jeff. You don't have to offer everything, but just don't ever lie. He said, okay. So he called me one evening. He said, I got an issue. I said, what's that? He says, do I tell them that the shoe fell off in the race? It was sloppy. The horse was like real close to being needed to be shot, and he didn't shoe him, and he thought he was going to get in trouble. I said, no, that's a good example. You don't have to offer that. Don't tell him. Nobody's going to know he lost his shoe and finished second in the state. So the next morning, Jeff Lucas called Mark at 4.30. And he said, did you tell me that horse lost his shoe yesterday? (laughs) And he said, he thought real quick that Mark is smart. And he says, if I didn't tell you, I meant to tell you, yes, he lost his shoe in the race. And Jeff said, "I I didn't think you told me. I thought I told you, I'm sorry. And so then he hung up and found out later that Jeff had called back to the barn at mom before cell phones. And the kid that answered the phone was a groom. And he, he, he was the groom of the horse. And he told Jeff that he lost his shoe in the race. So those are the kind of some of the funny stories. He's got eyes and ears everywhere. Yes, he does. And especially Jeff, right? Because everything I've ever heard of Jeff was like that. Even Todd speaks so, so highly of him, like that he was just he was just really a superstar. Yes, he was. He would have been very successful had he gone out on his own before he had the accident. He was a great horseman and a workaholic also. I was speaking to Wayne a couple weeks ago when we were at Oaklawn and he told me a funny story. He said, maybe I was a little bit too tough on Jeff because even when he, cause we were talking about my son that was just born and he was like, he said, 
he could barely walk, Jeff could. And he would walk into the office and, and Wayne taught him to stick his hand out, shake a person's hand really firmly and look him straight in the eye. <laughs> and so he made him walk in the office and he did it. And he said, nope, that's not good enough. Try it again. And then he would go out of the office, walk back in. He did it like five times in a row. And finally it was good enough. But I mean, to be around those people, Kieran, to be around Dewey and Lucas and Jeff, it, you know, and like you said, just the work ethic, it really does change a person's career. Do we have, maybe this is, I mean, do we have people that are in the industry right now that are doing that for the next generation? Hopefully, you hope that Todd Pletcher and uh, Chad Brown and Bob Baffert and other people are doing that. Yes, I'm sure that they are. And and I was just one of the lucky ones to be with Wayne, you know, because Wayne was just a real gentleman. You know, Kieran, I always say that the one thing that I I've obviously spent quite a bit of time with Wayne and Lori Lucas uh, writing the book. Uh, that, you know, we, we wrote a book together. And the one thing that I came, I mean, there's many things I've come away with from Wayne, because obviously I was, I've been a huge fan of his for, for a very long time. But the one thing is the we. He never, you never hear him speak in terms of the I, it's the we. And I've actually adopted that when I'm speaking professionally, I have found I say we, it's always we, this, we, that we are doing this. We thank you. Like, Tell me just that philosophy philosophy just really says a lot in terms of an organization. And I know that you've kind of you that's one thing I've really taken away from Wayne. And it's like something people might think is weird. But um, tell me, what is the one if you could say there was one thing you really took from your time with him or your experience with him, what would it be? Well, that there's no I in team, that's for sure. But also, I would say. The, again, work getting up so early and working every day and being organized. I'm not as organized as he is and or my wife is or Jimmy Bell or Rick Nichols, a lot of people that I work with, Todd. I'm a little bit opposite of the perfectionist, but Wayne was just the, the work ethic was, was wild and that's what you just learned from when I first went to work for him. I lived... 45 minutes away. I lived in Pomona and I was going to Hollywood Park and I overslept one day and I had an electric um, alarm clock and the power went off. So I got there at like 5.30 and I was usually there at 4.30 and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This will never happen again. And he said, that's okay, but it better not happen again from the pony and uh, he, he warned me. So I went out and bought three alarm clocks. So it never happened again. But to get up and go to work every day at so early and be there all day, it was, um, that's what I take away from Wayne a lot and being organized. And he treated every horse as an individual, fed them all different. And he was, Jeff was fabulous about picking races out for horses. Wayne was also good at picking out races, but Jeff was unbelievable. He would pick out a race five weeks away or four weeks away and train from that day backwards. So, you know, to work a week out and a week out. So it was, you know, but Wayne was and is a great horseman. 
We want to say a special thank you to our sponsor and Healthnetics. So today all guests will receive a premium CBD gift set from Healthnetics for everyday aches and pains and an overall sense of calm. Try Healthnetics CBD. All Healthnetics products are all natural, made in the USA and are THC free. Healthnetics products come with a 100% money back guarantee. Go to healthnetics.com and use promo code TDN for 25% off your purchase. Again, that's healthnetics.com, promo code TDN. It's funny you just mentioned the lifestyle of being an assistant trainer or someone, a trainer or someone in the barn, um, because my cousin, uh, he, I think he did three tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's a Marine and he came back for a little while, didn't really know what he wanted to do. So he started working for my mom in the barn as a, a hot walker. He groomed a couple <laughs> He lasted like two weeks. He's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that just shows you the lifestyle of, of being at the barn. I mean, it takes a lot of dedication. It takes dedication day in and day out. It's a lifestyle for sure. And, and that's the thing that aggravates you about the H2B visas and getting help because we tried to hire Americans, but they wouldn't last but two or three days or a week. And it was just hard and they weren't into it and passionate about it. The Mexicans love the horses and they love the opportunity. What do you think is the solution? I mean, you've had, like I said, you've had many um, roles within the industry. Do you, do you think that like, what is, what is the solution? Cause it seems like everywhere I go, um, trainers and we had a trainers podcast. We were thinking even about having you on for that, but you know, it's really hard to make a good living. You have to be in the top, maybe 1%, half percent in order to even make a profit, uh, as a trainer. And then you have all of the other things that go along with it. Like you mentioned the H2B visas, the payroll. Uh, what do you, have you ever thought about maybe what the solution would be? I thought about it because in Japan, I went there to run a horse or two also, and they have schools and people want to be a groom and an exercise rider and they go through schools. And I thought maybe, especially in Lexington, you could maybe try and groom young kids to become, or, you know, even college kids to become hot walkers and grooms in, 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 in our business. But it is hard to get up every day and go to work. We thought about Green Tree when we trained there. We could actually start later and just like go from eight to five, like a regular job. But then you have to race. You have to feed the horse at different times. So it's hard, but maybe a school of some sort for, you know, in Lexington might be good for grooms, hot walkers and, and move on up to foreman. You know, that's about the only thing I can think of other than H2B visas, but they're very expensive. Karen, you, you had one of the situations, I would say, in, in terms of as a trainer, obviously you had one of the, you had great clients, uh, you had great, you mentioned Green Tree, was, which is like paradise. It's like heaven on earth being there. Uh, it's just like you had the wonderful facilities, like you had really uh, some of the best opportunity that mo then really that any trainer can really hope to expect to have in their lifetime. But there was still there were still challenges 
And in New York, I know that it was challenging for you. And like, there were many other trainers too, that with the whole work, uh, you know, the hours that, that your help was going to be working and that punching in and punching out. So like the, the New York state basically can become, it's become a very, um, um, let's put it this way. It's not, it's not super easy to operate in New York. No. And I'm not saying it is in other jurisdictions, but New York uh, specifically, because you had some issues there. Tell me about how you felt, not the financial part of it, your feeling about how that all went down when you know the state comes to you and says, okay, you know what? The, these people have, you know, we need, it needed to be executed this way and it wasn't. Tell me how you felt with that. I felt like, you know, my feelings were hurt and that I got kicked in the stomach because they fined me $300,000 and acted like I was stealing wages from my help who was with me for 20 years. If I was stealing anything, they wouldn't have stayed with me for those that many years. And then we would stake on wins. Every groom would get 1% of the, of the stakes. And yet you couldn't count that as part of their pay. So you needed to go to school probably and learn how to deal with the Department of Labor because they were very difficult. I thought when they first came, go talk to whoever you want. I have no issues. I pay well. But what happened was some of the grooms that are a little bit older and like to come in and get set up would come in at 4 a.m. instead of 4.30 or 5 a.m. instead of 5.30. And that's what they told me I owed. 20 minutes for three years for 65 employees and overtime. And that's what took it to 300,000. It wasn't that I was stealing from them. It's you don't have a door you can lock and, and, and open up like at an apartment store. So when they came to the barn, they came earlier than they were supposed to. And so I had to pay them. But it, it's very challenging because the H2B visas, their hourly wage is more than a uh, minimum wage for an American employee. And, and then you have to fly them from Mexico and pay a lot of things, travel. I, I even was told that they weren't allowed to get on a horse van from New York to Florida. And I told them, I said, but they want to be with their horses. So I, the last time or two, I had to fly them on JetBlue, pick them up in a, a limo so they had a seatbelt and take them to the track. So it just got really complicated and frustrating and my feelings were hurt for sure. That just has to have such an immense impact on your staff. I, I'm, I That sounds pretty obvious, but if a groom wants to go and hang out with their favorite horse in the afternoon, which we definitely see that, I mean, I, they're just not allowed to? The H2B visas weren't allowed to get on a van without a seatbelt. And I said, well, I don't own the vans. Naira has vans. They don't have seatbelts. But so then we had to figure out a way to take them in a car and a seatbelt. It just became so complicated. And most people don't have to do it today because they don't know. They haven't heard that. But I'm sitting at a table with them, and they're telling me that I had to do it. So the last time or two that I, I did it, we bought JetBlue flights for them from Albany to go to Fort Lauderdale. And luckily, we would get them you know, just over $100 a flight. It wasn't terrible. But to keep passing on the expenses to the owners was very difficult for me. 
I charged as much as anybody when I was training. And, and I just felt like I couldn't keep adding it on the day rate. And so that was difficult. Does it surprise you sometimes that people still want to go into the profession of training <laughs> new it's, trainers? It's a passion and a lifestyle. And when, once it's in your blood and you want to do it, it's great. I mean, I had some good kids that work for me that uh, I want them to be trained, especially now that I'm an agent, I need trainers <laughs> to train the horses, but it's not easy. I always kind of think of this, it, I think about it. I mean, my father-in-law is probably in the same situation where he's got a lot of different owners and he could be in a race with multiple different owners. And I would imagine that that's very hard to uh, maintain the relationships with the owners that lose, win, everywhere in between. I would imagine being a jockey's agent as well, especially for someone like Luis Saez, um, you don't want to make anybody unhappy, but sometimes you have calls. It's, it's a very slippery slope and it's a lot of juggling. And I find that, um, especially being a jockey's agent, it's all about maintaining relationships. How have you been able to do that, especially in this new role, um, as a jockey's agent, has it been challenging I, I've always wanted to ask a jockey's agent that because I would imagine, you know, you who Todd has a, a, a horse in a race and someone else has a horse in a race and it's got to be kind of a tricky decision at some point and you don't want to make anybody unhappy. Have you had to kind of deal with that and what's your process in getting through that? Yeah, it's not easy. Sometimes they're tougher than others. And I like to say I ride for people. And I don't always ask who the horse that you're running. And Todd is one of those people that if he asks, I try and do everything I can to ride for him. Um, Jonathan Thomas, we've won like 10 races for this year. And he's great to work with. Brad Cox, if he asks you to ride one, you just say yes, sir, or if you can. So it's, it's, um, it is challenging and sometimes difficult because you're going to let an owner down or a trainer down. But I try to do the best I can and, and, uh, ride for the people. It's tough though. And I, I just, I know you probably won't, you, you're not the person to give yourself a pat on the back, but there, it is very tough. I would say to continue to have a, um, the level of success that you've had in all these different career paths in, in one industry and still maintain such a untarnished reputation, but uh, especially with the, the delicate nature of being a jockey's agent. <laughs> yes. Put that out there, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, um, but it's a great job. And I've always said that it's one of the best jobs on the racetrack because you're working for one person and you're, you know, if he's doing well, you're doing well. And uh, so I love what I'm doing. And it is a little stressful sometimes taking off a horse and not riding the horse. Um, Todd called me Tuesday and said, they're hustling me in to the Oakland Park Handicap with Fearless. Jose Ortiz is available. You have a busy day and I'm not sure I'm going to run him. It's back a little quick. So if he wins Saturday, a million dollar race with Jose, or I'm not going to sleep well that night, but that happens. And he, he just called me at the last minute and told me, and I was already booked on eight or nine horses. I thought at Keeneland Saturday. So we stayed at Keeneland. 
Kieran, obviously we've talked about it several times now. You've done pretty much everything in, in, the, in the business. And so based on that experience and on your experiences, if you look at this at the sport on a on a broader in a broader sense, what would you say if you had to name one thing that you think is the most um, that you think might be something that racing really needs to address one the one issue that racing would need to address going forward and also the thing that gives you the most hope um about racing going forward so basically you know we're talking about the the two sides right I'm glad you asked that second part because too much, I feel like we focus on the first part. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. And people will ask us, but what do you think are the two sides of it? What is like the most, you know, from the positive and maybe from something that we really need to, to fix? Well, I think the medication should medication rules should be consistent from Florida to New York to California and everywhere in between because it's difficult when you have different rules. And I think that they have done great the last few years. I'm happy I'm not training still with having to inject a a joint 14 days out and hoping it still helps you to race 14 days later. It's tricky, but we've stopped with the anabolic steroids, clenbuterol. We've done a lot of positive things for the industry and a lot of people don't know it on the outside. But it would be nice to have shoe rules, the same medication, same rules, starting gate, same rules. One place you can put a Monty Roberts blanket on, one place you can't, one place will open the front doors, one place won't. And shoe rules, which they might be changing again soon, to be consistent from coast to coast. It's not like we need... uh, uh, eight foot basketball goal and the 10 foot some other state or three strikes and you're out or four strikes in another state, it should be consistent throughout the the country. It's a great way to, to phrase it. It would be a little odd <laughs> in the, in the MLB to have all those different rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just right. nonsensical. Right. Karen, thank you so much. I know you're crazy, crazy busy. I'm very impressed. I didn't even hear your phone ring once, but I'm sure you have a lot of <laughs> yeah, it's, calls and I have it on silent, So it's stinging, but I have it on silent. But thank you. <laughs> thank you all for what you all do for our industry every day. Thank you, Karen. Thanks so much. Thank you, Karen. We loved having you on. And uh, and really, we'll keep and I'll keep looking out for you at uh, either Palm Beach Downs, Palm Meadows or somewhere. We'll, we'll see you. Yeah, down the road. <laughs> yeah Saratoga next. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you Karen. Much. Have a good one. Thank you. OK, so we've wrapped up another edition of Let's Talk. This one on Karen McLaughlin and um, Christina. The conversation really ran the gamut. And I think it's fitting because of who we just interviewed. He has had roles as a jockey's agent, an assistant trainer, groom, hot walker, trainer of multiple grade one winners, Dubai World Cup winner, you name it. It it was really awesome. And the greatest thing about Kieran are his stories. (laughs) I 
one of my favorite people, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, obviously we say this, you know, we're going to say this about everybody. One of my favorite people in horse racing is Kieran McLaughlin. I had an opportunity, I've had several opportunities, many opportunities to spend time with him, uh, to hang out with him, to listen to his stories. And obviously, you know, everybody knows me as a big D. Wayne Lucas fan. So, you know, part of it was all of his Wayne Lucas stories, which You're he's like got some- You're like fangirling a little bit there. I, I'm totally <laughs> fangirling. And, but I just- Kieran is such an inspiration to me on many levels, not only professionally, because he really took his game to the next level and in everything he did, really, not just in training, not just as an agent, like he really has done everything at the top, top level, but also just as a person. He's a wonderful person. He's a kind person. He's always so positive. And, you know, Gabby, we talk a little bit about his challenges physically some of his challenges that he's faced in his life, even, you know, some of the challenges just geographically traveling all over the world, maintaining his family, but he's done such a great job and he's kept such a level of integrity. Gabby, really, he is the standard that I think a lot of people in racing should try to follow full stop. Full stop. It's so hard. And I can't stress this enough. There are very few examples of someone that has reached the levels that he has in every single career path in this industry that he's taken and maintained such an untarnished, fabulous reputation. People love him. And I do think it's because of that positivity. He has such a, a positive outlook on life, on work even in very hard and frustrating times, like we were talking about with the HTB visas and kind of the drama that unfolded during his training career in New York, he still remains positive and hopeful uh, for the future. So it really was such a pleasure to have him on. I just want to go like hang out with him and listen to more stories. <laughs> Don't you? But I think, you know, I think now, especially in, in some recent times we've had racing has has gotten a bit of a black eye with certain things. And I, really, if you look in racing, we do, there are really positive stories. There are people who really are wonderful and who take care of their horses and who do the right thing. And I'm, again, I'm not saying uh, always, we talked about this many times before, Gabby, there's a small percentage of people who maybe are not doing the right thing. The majority do the right thing. And Kieran really is one of the top. I think, again, you can tell, I like completely love him. Uh, and uh, really, I think this was one of my favorite conversations for us to have. Me too. I hope all of our viewers and listeners enjoyed it as much as we did.